This week's uh, topic is the Holy Spirit. Once again, uh, there's a bunch of new people here tonight for this type of class. There's a lot of scripture references um, in, in these classes. And so this is why we record them. This is why we release a PDF afterwards. I do not expect you to take a lot of notes on this, um, but at least it will be available for you to go back and review and go over. Uh, some of the premise of the Building Blocks classes for this entire year is really to set another layer of foundation for HFF. So HFF in 2015, when it was founded, uh, really was just a family fellowship that existed to just be in a place where we didn't fight over all the issues that had kind of plagued the the messianic roots of christianity and so we were almost anti was kind of like our our thing we were anti-fighting we were anti-taking uh an approach on certain topics we weren't going to allow that to be divisive or non-divisive um, a place where there could be some diversity well the problem as you grow is that you you can't just be anti-division, you actually have to have some sort of roots in, in what this fellowship believes. Uh, and sometimes that actually helps create some guardrails into not ending up into those divisive topics. I also want to point out that at HFF, um, just because I have this perspective or Brent has this perspective, we still welcome people who don't share the same perspective. And so as long as it's not divisive, we don't have a problem. The moment it becomes divisive, then we should probably go find a place where we're a little bit happier. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. We're going to get into it. Uh, try to stay strict one hour and get you guys back to your houses or late dinner or whatever you're going to do. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we lift up Brent, uh, we lift up the Drews, we lift up some of the families who are uh, still going through the illness, uh, Brent specifically for his back, the Jeffries for their back, uh, for the other prayer requests that came in today for cataract surgeries and, and for the other ailments that are going on, Lord, we just, uh, we lift them all up to you. You're the healer, you're the physician. Uh, give any doctors or any medical counsel wisdom, Lord, but most importantly, uh, heal them by your touch, by your breath, for it's in the name of Yeshua. Amen and amen. All right, so today's topic, uh, last week's topic was the Sabbath. Before the Sabbath was the biblical canon. Before the biblical canon was who is Yeshua. And then we also talked about what is salvation. Today, we're going to dive into the Holy Spirit. Over the next couple of months leading into the Spring Feast, we're going to talk about the Spring Feast. We're going to talk about God the Father in that role. Um, in the next building blocks, we're going to talk about the role of the church in Scripture. Um, I know, especially where we come from, a lot of times people don't even want to talk about the church because they say, well, the church is just this. We're, we're going to dive into the historical context, but most importantly, what the actual Scriptures say about these various different things and what the callings are for those. So um, oddly enough, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you don't have to go very far into the Bible. In Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, in, in this room, most of you know the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, and it was the Ruach. It was the Spirit of God that was hovering over the waters. So I know when I think back to my Sunday school days and they talk about creation, you kind of saw this like long-haired, bearded man um, that was kind of a cross between Michael Sherrod and myself who, who kind of spoke and talked into existence. But it was actually the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, that was involved in the creation of all things. The Holy Spirit in Genesis is not just this mystical kind of void, ghostly Casper the ghost going through walls. It's actually a person. It's, it's, it's a person who has a form and a function. In the story of Genesis, God goes to great lengths to make sure that we understand that the Holy Spirit is not just a New Testament concept, uh, but just like with Yeshua, just like with Jesus, the Holy Spirit was a part of the very beginning existence, the fabric of all creation. In fact, through the Ruach, by the hand of the Father, everything we see was created. So the word Ruach is actually mentioned 377 times throughout the Bible. 
you know, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a lot of time. So, you know, coming from the more Torah-centric side of things, um, we like to talk about Torah, we like to talk about commandments and that, but when you start to see words that are used hundreds of times from Genesis to Revelation, that obviously means that it's important. One of the unique things about the Holy Spirit and that word, Ruach, that's used there is that 232 times, so the vast majority of times that that word is used throughout Scripture, it's actually talking about spirit. It's talking about a, a Ruach-like person, a spiritual-based thing. But 92 times, it's in reference to wind. We're going to actually spend a lot of time on wind tonight. I kind of figured as Okies, you wouldn't have a problem with that. But uh, the second most used time for the Spirit of God is actually in reference to wind. 27 times it's used in regards to breath. Six side, five times mind, four times blast, two times vain, air, anger, cool, courage. They all get one shout out in the Bible. And then there's six other times that there's miscellaneous kind of references to uh, the word ruach or the spirit of God. Uh, we'll also look at the Greek words that are used there as well. Um, in Genesis chapter eight, verse one, it says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts, all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind, the same word, that was used in Genesis 1, Ruach, God made a wind to blow over the earth and the water subsided. So when we read that a lot of times, we just naturally think, okay, there was a wind that blew, like a natural wind that blew. But if you read it as God made the Holy Spirit blow over the earth and the water subsided, you start to get, what, sweetie? You have a coloring book? You have a God one? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Do you have any God ones there that talk about wind? Yeah. Hey, I love baby Jesus. Sweet eight pound, three ounce, 21 inch baby Jesus. I am tracking with you, Jessica. But when you start to look at, at the actual root meaning of those words and you start to replace that with Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we, we see a little bit of a different narrative, a little bit of a different story that's being told. Rather than just thinking like we're in Oklahoma, so the wind is constantly blowing. So the wind blew and the earth had the water subside and Noah was able to walk out of the ark and, and take interaction with this, this new creation motif. Uh, it's a little bit different than just, oh, the Oklahoma wind came blowing down the plains. All of a sudden now we have the Holy Spirit actually blew and the water subsided. God made the Holy Spirit interact there, not just our physical presence of wind. The Holy Spirit in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 10, 13, so Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all the day and all the night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locust. So he stretches out his staff. We're familiar with the Exodus story. We're almost in the time of Passover. But when he stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, it says the Lord brought an east ruach, an east wind. So the ruach came upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east ruach had brought the locusts. So the locust comes from the, or the ruach comes from the east to bring the locusts. The Holy Spirit's actually far more engaged in in some of these Old Testament stories, some of these Torah tales that we tell throughout things, than just what we naturally would read when we're looking at the random wind that would blow. Uh, Exodus 14, 21, then Moses stretched out of his hand over the sea. We're going to read this a lot in the upcoming months uh, as we get into Passover, Pesach. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. So when we're looking at the actual Exodus story, all of the people are coming out of slavery. They come up to the Red Sea. They're, all of a sudden, they're in front of the Red Sea. A lot of times we put a lot of emphasis on the stand back and see your salvation, the Yeshua. We put, we put an emphasis on that as Messianic believers in the Passover story of the Red Sea. But it actually says that it was the Ruach that helped part the waters. So interestingly enough, like, for me personally, I've been in this for 17 years. 
I hear a lot of people talk about God the Father, about Yeshua. God the Father heard Moses, gave him instructions to do things, and then all of a sudden, sudden something miraculous happened. Well, yeah, something miraculous happened, but the Holy Spirit came and actually parted the waters. The Holy Spirit parted the waters so that they could go through the water, have a baptism, and make their way towards the next stop to meet with the Lord. Um, you also see in verse 10 of chapter 15 of the book of Exodus where uh, the Holy Spirit is actually the one. It says that the Holy Spirit was one that actually closed up the waters too. So when the Egyptians come through and they're coming after the Israelites as they've been brought out of Egypt, they parted through the Red Sea. It was the Holy Spirit who parted the waters. It's also the Holy Spirit who says, those Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see again. The Holy Spirit is used by God the Father to in interact in the ongoing work. It's not just Casper the ghost here. It's not just some mystical thing that's there that we just feel or we just see. The Holy Spirit has a real form and a function. And it's important for us because there's a, a real push in our corner to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to be doing a Gifts of the Spirit and an Offices of the Spirit series later on this year, closer to Pentecost. Um, but as we go into the Spring Feast, a lot of times we're not talking about the Holy Spirit. We're like, oh yeah, yeah, the Holy Spirit's there. They fell on Pentecost. But we, we go in and we're like, well, God the Father or Yeshua. But the Holy Spirit was actively engaged from Genesis 1-1 on throughout the scripture. The Holy Spirit doesn't just randomly, he's not the fixer. Like when God's like, hey, I need that guy who's going to break somebody's legs or he's, he's going to do this. The Holy Spirit's not that guy. The Holy Spirit is actively engaged in the work of God the Father and God the Son, Yeshua. In the book of Numbers, the Holy Spirit uh, shows up in Numbers 11.31. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it's brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. So even when God is bringing quail, he's bringing provision for his people. The word there again, then the Holy Spirit from the Lord sprang up. I think we can kind of relate to that. I mean, when the wind gusts pick up to 22 miles an hour over the next couple of weeks, I want you to just take and pause for a second and not just see it as the wind that's going to bring you this beautiful coat of red dust to your skin. It's a shade under Donald Trump's orange. But like, it's not just the wind. It's possibly the Holy Spirit bringing something in or moving something out. Like the Holy Spirit is an active work. In 2 Samuel 22, 11, and the prophets, it says, he rode on a cherubim and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. Well, I mean, a cherubim flying. Like, it would be natural to think, well, okay, if, if something is flying, the wind is engaged in that. However, if you look at what the root word is there, ruach, that it was seen flying on the wings of the ruach. It's different if you look at it from that perspective rather than just what we see tangibly with the wind that's blowing. Job 26. Actually, this, this word in reference to wind, the Ruach, um, I think it's like Strong's H7307, something like that, somewhere close to there. Don't quote me on that, but it's somewhere close to that, that Strong's number. Um, it's all throughout Job. It, it, it's literally all throughout Job. So when you read the story of Job being tested and wrestling with the Lord, um, a lot of times I was always taught, it's like, okay, well, God the Father was approached by Satan the adversary. He asked for permission to test his servant Job, but you cannot kill him. And then all of a sudden you have this engagement. You have the buddies who are like, oh, you didn't do anything wrong. It's not a punishment. And there's all that wrestling. But in the book of Job, the word wind, ruach, is used multiple times. And so when you think of how God, not only as God the Father in the heavenly realm, who gave permission to the adversary to test his servant, but then that the Holy Spirit is actually interacting with Job. It's empowering Job. It's convicting Job. It's moving Job in that test with the adversary. Um, once again, it, it puts a little bit more form and function to our relationship with God the Father and God the Son that the Holy Spirit is engaging and interacting in the tests and the trials, not just in a calling to go do something, not just in a gift of tongues or healing. The Holy Spirit is actually actively engaging to help us 
grow closer to the Lord. Job 26, 13. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. By his ruach, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. By the heaven, by the ruach, the heavens were made fair. The ruach isn't just engaging in this atmosphere. The ruach is engaging in the heavenly and the physical atmosphere. Um, I just want to lay a baseline. And again, there's a lot of just scripture bullet points. I encourage you to go back and watch it. I think it's Thursday morning. I'm going to get it up. I try to get it up Thursday morning for everybody with the PDF. But I would encourage you to go back through this multiple times, maybe not just right away, but over time to study it out and pray over it yourself, to prepare your heart for just a baseline understanding of what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit. Because when Brent starts in, in a couple of months, into the, the gifts and the offices of the Holy Spirit, it's, it would help that you have a pretty good biblical baseline for how the Holy Spirit has interacted so that immediately it doesn't just get weird for you where you're like, hey, look, I came from a Baptist or a Nazarene background. Tongues, we don't do that. We don't do healings. We don't do these things. Like before you get into the gifts or the offices of the Holy Spirit, it would help to have a good baseline understanding of the Holy Spirit's form and function throughout the entire Bible. So I want to go through uh, 13 points here uh, on the divine nature of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. We find this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and Judges chapter 3, verse 10. Number two, the Holy Spirit is called God in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. Number three, the Holy Spirit is considered God. In Acts 28, verses 25 through 27, and 2 Corinthians 6 through uh, chapter 6, verses 16, and we just went through Hebrews, but in Hebrews chapter 3, 7 through 9. Number four, the Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and equal to the Son. Look, I'm not interested in getting into debates over the Trinity or all those. I've already planned that for a couple of weeks from now. Um, but but Matthew 3, 16 Matthew 28, 19, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Ephesians 2, 18, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, 1 Peter 1 through 2, all give us passages and testimony that the Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and equal to the Son. Once again, I would have 20 pages of notes if I were to read all of those scripture references, and I promise you that you'd be out of here in one hour. And so I'm just giving them as references for you guys to do that, and you guys can do that over a glass of bourbon or a beer or wine or a seltzer water, whatever your thing is at another point in time. Number five, the Holy Spirit is everlasting and eternal. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, 14, not trying to steal Brent's thunder, we're not in chapter 9, but he'll get into that when we get into Hebrews 9. Number six, the Holy Spirit is self-existent. We find this in Romans 8, 2. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. We see this in Psalms 139, 7 through 8. Um, If I get time, the last couple of weeks have been pretty crazy. The references of the Holy Spirit in the book of Proverbs and Psalms is extensive. I mean, we, we could literally do one class just on each one of those books. And so maybe I'll try to dig those references out a little bit more for you. And maybe that's a follow-up guide to just those two books. I love the book of Psalms, the poetry that's there. Proverbs, obviously, we all like a good proverb. Most of us like to quote the Chinese ones or the ones from Joel Stein on social media. But the, the Proverbs from the Bible, um, the Holy Spirit in those two books and the amount of references is, is extensive. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, sorry, the Holy Spirit is omnis, I can't even say this. Thank you. Thank you. Omniscient. I, I, once again, Google is so great because you can play a word and have it read to you over and over again, but Google cannot speak for you. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, John chapter 14, verse 26, and John chapter 16, verse 13. Number nine, the Holy Spirit is sovereign. We find this in Zechariah 12, verses 10, verse 10. Number 10, the Holy Spirit was involved with creation. 
We read that at the beginning, Genesis 1, 1 through 2. Number 11, the Holy Spirit enabled the Scriptures. We find this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 21. 12, the Holy Spirit reveals the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And 13, the Holy Spirit enables us to call upon Yeshua. We find that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Um, I refer to the Holy Spirit as a person. I know a lot of people, that's, that's, that's an area where they, they kind of get caught in the weeds on. However, I want to give you some specific references where the Scripture outlines that the Holy Spirit isn't just some amoeba, some void, some, some spirit, some, some vast thing that's out there. The Holy Spirit has a will. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. It can be, uh, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. Um, I think we might all have a little bit of experience with that. You can resist the Holy Spirit. We find that in Acts chapter 7, verses 5. Uh, you can test the Holy Spirit. Um, none of us have ever tried to test the Holy Spirit in this room. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 9. The Holy Spirit is intelligent. It's not just some amoeba out there. Um, I would say the Holy Spirit is more intelligent than AI. First uh, Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. AI seems to be advancing pretty pretty fast. So if AI is advancing that fast, I believe the Holy Spirit's got AI's butt kicked. So Holy Spirit is intelligent, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. The Holy Spirit has a mind. We find that in Romans 8, 27. The Holy Spirit has the ability to love and it does love. We find that in Romans 15, 30. The Holy Spirit can also be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be sad. We find that in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. The Holy Spirit examines you, me, other things. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 through 11. The Holy Spirit testifies. Everybody who's been around for any period of time know I love the will overcome by two things, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Well, the Holy Spirit also testifies according to John chapter 15, verse 26. The Holy Spirit also speaks. We find that in multiple verses, 2 Samuel 23, 2, Acts chapter 1, 16, lots of Acts, Acts chapter 8, 29, Acts chapter 10, Verse 19, Acts chapter 11, verse 12, Acts chapter 13. See a pattern here? The book of Acts talks a lot about the Holy Spirit speaking. Chapter 13, 2, 21, 11, 28, 25 through 26. So there's a lot of times throughout the book of Acts. We did that in the 28 days last year where it testifies of the fact that the Holy Spirit speaks. Um, kind of hard to be some sort of just random spirit that, that can audibly speak, that can speak to you and I with, with words, with function. 1 Timothy 4.11, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. And then in the book of the Revelation, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 14, uh, verses 13, and uh, chapter 22, verse 17. And last but not least, one of the personal characteristics of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is a person. We see that in John chapter 6, verse 63. We see that in John 14, 26. We see that in Romans 8, 11, Romans 16, Romans 26, 8, 11, 8, 16, 8, 26. Sorry, I should have clarified that. And then in 1 John 5 through 6. So the Holy Spirit multiple times and many passages throughout the, the scripture doesn't list this as some just random Holy Ghost or some, you know, when we hear the topic Holy Ghost, it's not used as much anymore. Only Crowder, I think, uses it in, in some of your more orthodox. Holy Ghost implies that this is just some, some being that's out there. However, the scripture makes it abundantly clear throughout many different books, Old Testament, prophets, and New Testament, that the Holy Spirit is a form and a function of a person. Masculine by the, the, the word itself, masculine, he, the Holy Spirit, interacts. Not that uh, I'm trying to take a gender stereotype or anything, but, but the word of God is what the word of God is. I don't get to make it what I want to make it. So uh, a couple of practical ways that the Holy Spirit can work today. Um, the Holy Spirit can help you make Jesus known. John 15, 26, 
16, 14, Acts 5, 32, 1 Corinthians 12 through 3, 1 John 4 through 2. All those passages tell us that the Holy Spirit, part of its function is to make Jesus known, to reveal Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit conforms us into the image of Jesus. So not only is the Holy Spirit one of its goals to help make Jesus known to you, but it's also then to help conform you into the image of Jesus. Uh, we find that in John chapter 15, 8 through 11, and Galatians 5, 16 through 25. The Holy Spirit also reveals the understanding of the Word of God. If you've ever sat down and you've read the Scriptures and, and you're like, I just can't get a former function to what's happening on the page right here. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I don't know what the Lord wants of me. Um, depending upon what your practice is, maybe you go into a prayer time or a fast time. Maybe you put it on the shelf and you go, go on in your studies. But part of the Holy Spirit's role is to actually reveal understanding of the Word of God. So not only does the Holy Spirit help reveal God, help conform us to Jesus as God, but then helps reveal the understanding of the Word of God to each and every one of us. Um, if you struggle with that on a, on a regular basis, you know, I have some friends who, who consider themselves to be Christians, and they never read the Word of God. And part of the reason why they would testify that they don't read the Word of God is every time they read the Word of God, it doesn't make any sense to them. Well, I would venture to believe, based upon my understanding of what the Bible says of the Holy Spirit, is that there is some disconnect between them and the Holy Spirit. Um, oddly enough, most of them don't believe that the Holy Spirit is still active and engaging in today's world. Well, if you, if you shut off the power of the Holy Spirit, if you shut off the function of the Holy Spirit in your life today, and then you say, well, I'm, I'm struggling to to place Jesus center of my life. I'm struggling to have the word of God revealed to me. Well, maybe because you shut off the vehicle by which God helps reveal his world word. So the Holy Spirit reveals the understanding of the word of God. We see this in Romans chapter one, verse 16 and Romans 10, 14 through 16. The Holy Spirit also calls us to work. You know, last time we did uh, the teaching on the Sabbath, and uh, one of the things I brought up is before we get into, oh, I can do this. I can't do this on the Sabbath. Uh, oh, we were supposed to stay in our tents. Oh, we're supposed to collect twice as much food. Oh, bake what you bake, boil what you boil. Before all the regulations of Sinai, there was an instruction God gave to Adam. Even before, even before we have the fall of man. And that was, it says that God formed male and female. He created God formed both of them. It wasn't, and, and, and I just, I want to backtrack to that too. Um, it wasn't just like he went to sleep and it was like, oh, I'm just going to take this small little portion. Like the way the scripture decides, says is like half of them, like a whole side of him was used to fashion the woman. And then as that narrative happens, I believe it's in like, uh, I'm going to mess up, chapter two, chapter three, somewhere in there of Genesis. Then it actually changes literary styles from being more directive and it almost goes back as kind of a summary almost like a recap of just real quick of how these things happen. And in that immediate summary of the creation story, it says that he had placed them in the garden because it's, it's going like chronologicals, like day one, day two, day three, day four. After that is done, it says on the seventh day he ceased and he rested. Then it kind of recaps. It's almost like, it's almost just like a summary happens. And it tells you that once they were created, he had placed them in the garden. When he placed them in the garden, he gave them the instruction that they were to work. They were to work. Part of working then was to provide, protect, and maintain what God gave them. So I, I, when we look at work, and it's like, well, I have to make money so I can pay my bills. We'll look at it from the actual original intention of the Lord to provide, to maintain, and to protect. Work was summed up in that type of concept for the garden. So when you go to work, you're not just making money for your spouse. You're not just doing that. You're making money so that you can provide. You still must protect Sometimes that's more than just having a salary. Like, okay, I go to work, now I don't have to do anything in my house. No, work had a function for the society of God's creation to function. So when the Holy Spirit calls us to work, 
a lot of times we, we again, we go, we go super charismatic in our thought process, whether we agree with it or not. We're like, oh, well, if the Holy Spirit comes down, you know, I'm going to keep saying tongues because it's the most uncomfortable thing for most non-charismatic people. But it is. I mean, you mentioned tongues and it immediately is like, well, tongues can only be done this way or tongues aren't for today. And it's, it's the most divisive, like, gift of the Spirit, but it's not the only gift of the Spirit. So I want to make sure when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit calls us to work, it's not just Him calling us to the gifts. It's not just Him calling us to the office. It's also to do the basic commandments of the Lord. It's important because I've seen men use this concept to say, I don't have to go to work and provide for my family because I have the gift of tongues or I have the gift of discerning spirits. And that immediately makes me question, do you have the gift of discerning spirits? Because you don't want, you just want to be lazy. You want to use the word of God to be lazy. So the Holy Spirit calls us to work. We see that in Acts chapter 13, 2, Acts chapter 8, 26, 40, Acts chapter 16, 6 through 7, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Romans 12, 1 through 2, Proverbs 11 through 11, 14. There's multiple scripture references in there when it comes to the Holy Spirit calling us to work. And again, I know this, a lot of scripture references tonight. That's why I'll publish this PDF on the website for you guys to be able to go back through, read them yourself, cross translations, dig in the Greek, dig in the Hebrew, Midrash, Drosh, whatever you, whatever you want to do. Um, Brent at HebraicFamily.com. Uh, the whole, I got a couple of funnies for you today. That one never gets old. All my other jokes fall flat. So I just keep sending you to Brent. So he, he's got a lot of time while he's, he's nursing his back right now. Number five, the Holy Spirit empowers us to our calling. The Holy Spirit empowers us to our calling. There's two spirits that operate inside of us. There's two spirits that operate inside this world. One is the Ruach, the Holy Spirit. It is ordained from God. It is a part of God. It has a function for the kingdom of God. The other spirit is the opposite. It is the spirit of the adversary. It is the spirit of the flesh. It is a spirit that wants to take whatever delegated authority, gifts, offices the Holy Spirit will give you and say that that's not my gift from the Lord. That's my right. You only have rights because of the king. The king's the one who established your rights. He's the one who died for your rights. He's the one who gave you gifts. So we don't claim, we don't go after callings that aren't ours. And we don't use callings, calling it the Holy Spirit, when we're really just using the calling out of our own spirit. That's dangerous. And I, I want you to understand that. Like, what you do, if, if it says that the Holy Spirit calls us into a calling and empowers us into it and calls us to work, if you're not walking in the Holy Spirit to work or to walk in your calling, then you're operating out of the fleshly spirit. One is not empowering. One is not divine. One is. So, unto all things you do, do unto the Lord. You have to make sure what you're doing, how you're doing, why you're doing it is unto the Lord and it's empowered by God, not just empowered by yourself. Um, this is a huge thing for me. I know I'm kind of preaching to myself, but I've served in the highest levels of the Messianic ministry, Messianic Hebrew roots, whatever you want to call them, for 17 years. And again, that's still like 0.0000000000000001% of Christianity. But for, for anybody who's been in it, it's like, man, we are it. We're the set apart ones. We're the remnant. We're that. Everybody else is, we're doing the human thing again. And so I can tell you multiple times in multiple years, you know, I work for a very large ministry in Norman. Multiple times, more than multiple. I will venture to say somewhere around 90% of the time we did things. It was not Holy Spirit inspired. It was not Holy Spirit empowered. It was because there is a messianic playbook. Every denomination has them. Southern Baptists have them. All of them have it. If you want to be popular, if you want people to read your teachings, if you want people to show up at your events, you do these things. You know how I know about the playbook? Illuminati Exposed. I help write it. 
it was me inspired. It was Google inspired. It was analytics inspired. It was data inspired. It was, um, it was common workplace practices inspired. It was not Holy Spirit inspired. It was not Holy Spirit empowered. And so I, for whatever reason, I still don't know why, but the graciousness of God allowed me another chance to adjust my life throw down the playbook I helped write for 17 years and say, I'm never picking that up again. We're going to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. And if I even get close to even going back for a trick play, like, kick me in the face. Thankfully, I haven't tried to go back because I don't want to know what, what, what God's foot feels like across my face. So being empowered into your calling by the Holy Spirit, not by your own spirit, is crucial. We see the Holy Spirit empowers us to our calling in the book of Numbers 27, 18. Once again, Holy Spirit's all over the Old Testament. We like to talk about Pentecost on, but Holy Spirit is a part of the Old Testament. Kind of debunks this whole notion that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the offices of the Spirit were just given so that it would... It would give some credence to the apostles. Well, what if the Holy Spirit was there long before the apostles? Oh, so now the Holy Spirit just stayed to make sure the apostles... No, come on, guys. The Holy Spirit was involved in the fabric of creation. Genesis 1.1. Ruach over the face of the earth, the chaos of the waters and the void. The Ruach was involved in the creation of the earth. The Ruach is involved in the Exodus story by parting the waters, closing and killing the Egyptians throughout the prophets, throughout Numbers, throughout the New Testament. The Ruach is involved in all. So Numbers 27, 18, 1 Samuel eleven six, 6, Luke 4, 14, and Acts chapter 1 all tells us that it is the Holy Spirit that actually empowers us to walk in our calling. The Holy Spirit aids us in prayer. Guys, I'm talking to you. I don't think this is going to be any type of shock. I don't think I'm spilling any type of tea. I don't think that TMZ is going to publish this at all because it seems to be a regular notion. Prayer can be very hard for men. It can be. And Sometimes we're good enough to say, hey, look, we're going to get up and we're, we're going to thank God in the morning and we're going to bless him for our food or whatever. But ongoing repetitive prayer conversation with the Lord throughout the day can be very hard for men. It just can be. If you're the exception to the rule, that's awesome. But as a whole, most men have a hard time submitting themselves to having active conversations with something that they cannot see, they cannot touch. We're just physical by design, most of us. However, it says that in Romans 8, 26 through 27, the Holy Spirit is the one who aids us in prayer. So if we don't have a proper function for who and what the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, if we're just in the New Testament on the gifts and the offices, then yes, I can understand why you would struggle with prayer or a relationship with God through talking consistently, because your, your view of what the Holy Spirit is, is, is not in line with who the Holy Spirit is. And so not only Holy Spirit in Genesis, Holy Spirit in Exodus, Holy Spirit in Numbers, all throughout the prophets, literally all throughout the book of Job, book of Psalms, book of Proverbs, Holy Spirit existed well before Pentecost, was active well before Pentecost, and is involved throughout that entire time in these different functions. AIDS in prayer, Romans 8, 26 through 27. And then the Holy Spirit is to be the one who actually leads and guides us. This is important, and I'm going to give you the scripture references. The Torah does not lead and guide you. The Torah is good. The Torah is given so we understand what is blessing and curses. But your interpretation of the Torah without the Holy Spirit is not good. It's void. Pharisees did the same thing. We do the same thing. The Holy Spirit must lead and guide us in our walk, in our revelation of the Word of God, and in the practice, in the form and the function, and the knowledge. It's not out of your spirit. 
Your spirit will cause you problems. And if it's a guy in the room, it, that means you caused your wife problems. And most of the time, they already knew you had them. So by the time you come to the revelation, they're going to be like, it's about time. So Robin got a big laugh out of that one. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. Uh, Liz is back there too. Uh, Ian, I guess we need another patio session. <laughs> Galatians 5, 16 through 25. Acts chapter 8. 29, Acts chapter 13, 2, Acts chapter 15, 7 through 9, book of Matthew 4, 1, and Romans 8, 4. All tell us that it is the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us. And then last but not least, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts to further the kingdom. The Holy Spirit doesn't give you, give you gifts so that you can sell books. The Holy Spirit doesn't give you gifts so that you can be awesome. The Holy Spirit doesn't give you gifts so that you can manipulate people. The Holy Spirit gives you gifts so that you will further God's kingdom, the Father. Just like the Holy Spirit did everything to further the work of the Father on the earth. Yeshua gave us the same exact example. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, 1 Peter 4, through, 4 10, 1 Corinthians 14, 22, and Romans 12, 3 through 8. In the Greek, actually, I'll skip that for right now. I'll leave that to the very end because that I, I put that in there specifically for Brent since Brent said he was a word nerd and, and told us repeatedly about the word nerds this week. I, I was like, I normally don't put a lot of word nerd stuff in my stuff, but uh, I just was going to throw that in there at the end for Brent. So I will make sure to personally email this to him and tell him to watch only the last 30 seconds. Um, but the Holy Spirit is vital. So a couple of terms that entitles. So when we talk about Yahweh, um, a lot of times we know the titles of like, well, there's Lord, there's God, there's Adonai, there's El Gabor, there's El Elyon. There's all these different titles that the Lord, the Father, uses. And we'll get into that in God the Father in a couple of weeks. We see that same thing with Yeshua. The English uh, name for, for Yeshua is Jesus. We have the Hebrew name Yeshua. And then he's called the, priest of, uh, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords. The, there's all these different titles that are given. Well, the Holy Spirit has those too. The Ruach has those too. It's known as the comforter, the advocate, the helper, the teacher, the guide. It's, it's one who convicts us of our sins, one who empowers us to walk in an upright relationship with our creator. And the Greek words there is pneuma and paraclete. Any Greek scholars in here? Yeah, pneuma. I, I got that one. That there's a there's a, like an old like I think it's like a, like a Chinese pop song or something. It's like numa numa hey numa numa numa. Yeah, I knew that before I knew it was Greek. Like so, I was all about that pop song. But I believe it's paraclete is how you say it. Uh, those are the two Greek words. We spend a lot of time talking about ruach because from where we come from, ruach is is predominantly used. But the Greek words in there are interesting because both of those don't also just mean spirit. One of them means breath. We, we, we saw earlier on, I gave you how many times breath was used for the Hebrew, but it's used for breath and for spirit. And so the, the Holy Spirit is how the Lord takes his commandments and he takes them from Sinai where he literally wrote them into stone and takes them off of the stone and writes them on your heart. A lot of people want gifts. They want offices. Those offices that are there, you know, it's like, well, I'm a teacher, or I'm a pastor, or I'm an apostle, or I'm a prophet, or I'm, a... they want offices, or they want positional authority. Well, I, I ask you guys today, if, if you don't properly know who the Holy Spirit is and the role throughout the Bible, how can you claim to want to have offices that are there when you don't know the one who actually is the one who empowers you by the gifts? It says in the scripture that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the gifts. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives the offices. If you don't have a proper balance and framework of the Holy Spirit, if you've thrown the Holy Spirit out to be just this random thing that comes in once or twice throughout scripture and interacts with people, then, then how can you claim you want an office or a gift given by the same Spirit? And if, if you claim you want an office or you want a gift that's there. I want the gift of tongues. I want the gift of healing. There's people in here right now who have ailments, that they've had ailments for a long time, and they're begging to be healed. They're begging to be healed. 
And I'm not saying they're not being healed because they don't have a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit. I don't get to make that call. That would be an absolute horrible assumption on my part. But a lot of people who come to the altar and churches around the country, a lot of people in the Torah passionate movement, as Brent likes to say, who want to have these things happen in their life, have no room for the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. The Holy Spirit isn't a sugar daddy. You don't get to just come and get a car when you want a car. You don't get to just come and get a healing when you want a healing. You can't push the Holy Spirit out of the Bible, out of your walk, and claim, all I need is the Torah, all I need is Yeshua, and then you're void of the entirety of the Scripture. Because the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. Without creation, you don't have a Torah. Without the Torah, you don't have all the prophecies of Yeshua. Without Yeshua coming and dying and resurrecting and ascending, you don't have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit rather than one human vessel now to any human vessel. We like to spend a lot of time on the New Testament point of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. But I, I would just ask you humbly, Go back into these scripture references and spend some time and ask yourself in the presence of the Lord, not in my presence, I'm not your judge, in the presence of the Lord, do I have a theology or a doctrine or a practice of life that wants the power of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament without recognizing the role of the Holy Spirit in all Testaments? Because for me personally, I'm not, I'm not God. For me personally, you cannot have the power of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament without the revelation of the Holy Spirit in every single covenant that God made with man. Because there wasn't a man until after the Spirit was here. So putting that into perspective for full Bible believers, I think, is crucial. And again, that's part of why we're doing what we're, we're doing in these classes. And I know as we do these classes, they're not sexy. They're not fun. There's a lot of scripture references. Some people will go back and reference them. Some, some of them won't. But whatever theology you have, whatever doctrine you have, you've either really studied it out heavy or hardcore, or you've listened to other people tell you what it's supposed to be. I want to empower you with what the Word says and the references and then encourage you to go back and review it. Because as we build this church, it can't just be built on the fact that my man bun looks good. It can't just be built on the fact that Brent knows Hebrew and Greek. It can't be built on the fact that we have got good worship or we have fellowship times. You don't come here because our potluck offers the best food. There are all kinds of restaurants around here that have better food than what we bring sometimes. It has to be rooted in the function of why it's important for our lives. And it incorporates, first and foremost, all three parts of God. Because your, your relationship with God, which then in turn has a reflection on your relationship with each other, which has a reflection on your relationship in your home, in your work, in your marriage, in your, your children, and everything else, if you only have a relationship with God the Father, then you're missing out on the work and the testimony of God the Son. If you only have God the Son and you don't reveal God the Father in any way, then you're missing out on the testimony of God the Father. And by the way, in the Messianic Hebrew Roots movement, we got a lot of people who are orphans. They do not know God the Father, even though they claim God the Father to be the most important. But you can't have God the Father and be complete without God the Son and God the Spirit. And you can't have God the Spirit and be complete without having the words and the instructions of God and the example of the Son who came and died and rose again. And so as we venture to move forward as a church, as we venture to continue to put deeper roots and stabilize ourselves this year, I honestly believe some of the most important things we're doing are these types of things right here. Because I can come to you and I can tell you that the Holy Spirit has done things in my life this year that I cannot explain. And you're like, oh, that's great. Because you have no form or function for what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do. The Holy Spirit has gotten literally not invited to most of our parties. The Holy Spirit doesn't get to come to the Super Bowl party. The Holy Spirit isn't being invited to our table fellowship. 
the Holy Spirit has been virtually locked out of our Sabbath gatherings. And for those who come from a more traditional background, I am not advocating snakes or anything else like that. It's important for us to start going through what the actual Bible says. We're already weird. We start bringing snakes in, we're done. We're just flat out done. But it's important to teach you what the Word of God says before we move into that. And so um, I'll, get, uh, I'll get this teaching in the PDF up on there. Uh, parents of little ones, I'm sorry, I actually did create a coloring sheet. Yes, I've been creating coloring sheets too. Who knew I had that skill set? Not me, but I can copy and paste from Google. So I've been creating coloring sheets, but uh, I realized that uh, the church, i.e. my printer, was uh, out of paper. So I had literally one coloring sheet and... I forgot how to use the copy machine back there, and I forgot my keys. So my apologies to all the parents. Thank you for providing other ways for your kids to draw. Jessica has like a really cool thing she draws with that she was telling us about. And so you can see Thomas and Michelle if you want to get one of those for your children. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray out, um, and then you can kind of disperse for the evening. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to come together. Once again, Lord, I just uh, I lift up Brent in his back. Um, Lord, you know he's been, uh, he's been wrestling with this for, for years, and even, even the surgery and the surgery didn't handle it. And so, Lord, I just ask for uh, supernatural healing by the power of Yeshua for him, that uh, he wouldn't need any pain medicines, he wouldn't need the ice baths and all the other things, that, that you would, by your power with your hand and your spirit, reach in to whatever it is that's causing the problem and just manipulate it the same way that you fashioned the ground to create Adam and Eve, Lord, and breathe your healing breath into his body. Uh, for the other people who are, who are ill and struggling and down, uh, Lord, I, I ask the same thing that you would remove COVID and the flu and, and any other thing that is going around from them and you would restore them uh, to, to be completely healed, Lord. For those who are struggling with uh, financial issues, Lord, give them the revelation of how your word says that they should not be in debt to others and then give them the inspiration to know how to get out of that. Bring them wise counsel. Bring them opportunities to, to rectify those situations, Lord, to be restored to your ways. And any other ailments and any other things, Lord, that are going on, uh, whether it's anxiety or it's depression or any of those things, we just lift them to you. You're the author of all life, and we just thank you for who you are, that you have continuously walked through the covenants for us, and that you are always present with us. In the name of Yeshua, amen and amen.